Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. The host for this episode is Wumi Adekambi. Wumi immigrated 10 years ago from Nigeria, where she was a post-secondary instructor and researcher and led a youth empowerment nonprofit. Wumi is passionate about people, information, and solutions in that order. Wumi is the organizer and host of Immigrant Techies Alberta, a tech enthusiast group for skilled immigrants who are in or are interested in pivoting to tech careers and startups. In this episode, Wunmi digs into design thinking with Carrie Harmer. Take it away, Wunmi. Hi, my name is Wunmi Adekombi, and I'll be your host today on the Rainforest podcast. My guest on the show today is Carrie Harmer. Carrie is a design evangelist with a passion for social, cultural, and environmental engagement and community development. She employs design strategies to lead applied research and innovation as a product developer, entrepreneur, facilitator, educator, and change maker. Welcome to the show, Kerry. Thank you so much for having me, Wunmi. Yeah, I'm so glad you were able to, to join us on this show. Let, let's just, let's meet you, Kerry. How, what's your story? How did you come to be the design guru? What's your journey into design? That's a really good question. I think I've always had a design mindset and I think it came from my from my family and from my background. So my my grandfather and my father were very design minded. Uh, they weren't designers, but they just had that kind of systems thinking, the way that designers think. And I don't think I realized that until I really studied design and started to understand that design is really kind of a mindset. And they had that mindset. And I think that's why I was so drawn to design. I, I get bored really easily and I love making things and I love the diversity that design brings and, and gives me in my life. Yeah, I just love all the different perspectives that you get with design and the different opportunities that it affords. I went to school and did design art at Concordia University in Montreal, which is a great design city. And I really, really got to immerse myself in all kinds of design in that program. But it was very much, very much about the thinking about design rather than, you know, really skills based in one particular type of design. And so that's what I think led me to becoming the kind of the, the design thinker that I am. I went to, I did grad school. I, I worked in design for a while in Montreal, and then I did grad school at the U of A, where I did my master's in industrial design, and that was framed within sustainability. And I really looked at the emotional attachment that we have, really looking at, looking into obsolescence and finding ways for us as designers to really address that issue because of the impact that it has on, on our environment. And then I became an educator. And I think that's just, that's the piece around being a design evangelist is that if you've got a passion for design and especially sustainability and, and kind of ethical practices in design, then educating is, is a great way to do that, is to, is to really engage in those conversations. And, and I, I think to make a difference. What has changed in terms of the recent focus that has been on in the past few years has been a major focus on design, the design process, design thinking. And I mean, you had your education a lot of years ago. 
And things have changed right now. There seems to be more attention to it. What do you think changed? What's brought that about? I think what's happened is that, you know, it was almost as if design had a promotional problem. Often when I tell people that I'm an industrial designer, people don't know what that is. They think I design factories. I think design just wasn't really well understood. But now today, as we have we as we've seen the growth, I mean, design thinking isn't a new thing. You know, people have been talking about it since the 60s and, and understanding the design process and the way that designers think and what it is that they do. But I think in you know, in the last decade or so, 15 years, we've really started to find other disciplines accessing design and understanding the value of the design process and understanding the, the, the value of having designers at the table. And that's great because design, I think, is very much transdisciplinary. And I think the design thinking process is very transdisciplinary. I did some research into that at the UFC in the PhD program, really looking at how transdisciplinary design thinking is as a methodology for getting a number of pe- different people with different expertise around the table to solve complex problems. The exposure that design thinking has given the design industry is really great because it's helping people to understand that I think we're all designers because, you know, since the year dot, we've been making tools. And so we're, we've been designing things to make our lives better. And I think we're just being much more intentional about recognizing that now. We've, we've put a name to it. And for in terms of innovation, so many economies are in transition and pivoting to adapt the the economy, the skills, what they're focusing on in light of environmental sustainability, climate change. So there's innovation of ways of, you know, we rethink how we solve problems and design thinking has been a major part of how many programs and products have been developed these days. So if you could just share some thoughts on what do you think is the role of design thinking in innovation? Yeah, design thinking is has a huge role in innovation, particularly the design thinking process and design methodologies. And I think, you know, when you design something all the time, you're, you are innovating. Designers are always looking for those new opportunities, for holes to fill, and for needs that are unmet. That's what designers do right from the get-go. They really are those uh, problem identifiers. And that's part of the design thinking process is to really understand the problems that, that we're being faced with. And they're complex. They're, they're more complex than ever today. And they're more multidisciplinary. And, and I think that designers have, a, have an understanding because they're always designing for people. People are always at the center of the design process. And, you know, the, the foundation of the, of the design thinking process is this empathy and this understanding of users Design is a process that is always user-centered. Some people might argue with me, but I think it depends on, on, on kind of the designer that you are. But we're always thinking about the user and, and how they're going to interact with whatever it is that we're creating, whether that's a product, a service, a system, or an experience. And so designers are, are comfortable with testing things out, with with making prototypes, with coming up with a, a bunch of different ideas. Bedrock of innovation, right? It is, yeah, it really is. And it's that that comfort with just feeling free to fail, feeling free to experiment and and safe, feeling safe in that, which is is very much the the experience that designers have. That's what we do is we say, well, I don't know, let's try this. 
here's a thing that I'd like to try. And we're used to collaborating with with others, with, with other designers as part of teams, but we're also really used to getting the, the specialized knowledge that we need. We're used to reaching out to other people to get expertise. We're kind of trained in understanding what the needs might be and what questions people might have in that process. And so, you know, we're, we're used to kind of figuring out and trying to understand people. We're used to coming up with a variety of different ideas to a problem that we've dug deep in and, and kind of looked underneath the rocks. And then we're used to prototyping and testing out things and we're okay with getting it wrong because that just gives us more information to feed back into that process when, we, when we're testing out those, those prototypes. So I think in a lot of ways, the design thinking process is the innovation process. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I like to think about design thinking as very, very versatile that can be applied to almost every aspect of life, actually. So we talk about service design, which in which you include the design process in providing services, maybe as a government to the community or something like that. And then there's also in terms of product development, of course, you want you want to be sure your product is meeting a specific need in the market. Recently, I, I started to think as even individuals can apply the design thinking process. Like, how do I solve in terms of my career development, how do I solve the problem that an employer has? Job seekers can even use that process to identify what the need in the market is and how they can solve the problem of the employer or the problem of the market, the larger market. And that kind of just creates this context where you can design yourself, design your own career, design yourself as a product to the world. What do you think about that? Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a book called Designing Your Work Life, which I believe is put out by some Stanford professor. I think they wrote for the first book they wrote was Design Designing Your Life or Design Your Life. And then the next one was Design Your Work Life. And it's absolutely that. Yeah, you can you can apply the design thinking process to any problem that you're facing, whether it's okay, what am I going to think about with trying to get my baby to sleep? You know, so let's empathize with what the baby needs and what is the actual problem. Well, the problem is, is not that the baby needs to get to sleep. The problem is that I need to sleep. Right. And so really kind of looking at at problems in different ways, the way that the design thinkers do is really powerful because it, it gets you to kind of say, oh, wait a minute. What I thought was the problem is not actually the problem. You know, there's really concrete methodologies for actually digging, digging down underneath to find out what it is that you actually need to be thinking about in terms of creating ideas for. And I, I've done this with, with a few different post-secondary institutions as in a consulting role. And one I did at Bow Valley College was really great because I had uh, student services. And so they were thinking about, well, what do our students need? And really investigating what it is to improve the student experience. So design thinking process can absolutely, it can, it can create a new couch or it can create a new experience for students or it can get your baby to sleep or it can build your career. You know, it really is like what problems are we faced with and how do we, how do we really dig into that and come up with some ideas? And there's such great strategies now. There's so many different strategies and, and methods for all of these different processes along the way in the, in the design thinking approach that you see. 
that you can just, if one doesn't work, you, there's another one to try. And there's, there's so many people doing really great work in this area that I, I get very excited about it. And I think once you're, when you're working in the design thinking field and once you start to think about it and do it, you just naturally apply it to everything in your life. Yes, I totally agree with that. Right now you work with Montreal University and you're a maker studio specialist. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So in the library at Mount Royal University, we have a suite of really innovative spaces that support teaching and learning on campus and also facilitate research into teaching and learning. And so the Maker Studio is one of those spaces. It's a space on the main floor that has tools and technologies for making, mostly for rapid prototyping. So we have 3D printers, a laser cutter, digital and sewing machines. We have CNC machine, 3D scanners, all kinds of electronics and robotics equipment. And we have a team of experts and specialists who can support those tools and technologies to be integrated into curriculum. So we help students really build their technological literacies at the same time as being innovative in the way that they're thinking about the content that is being delivered in their courses. So we worked, I work directly with faculty to help them to come up with new projects that help achieve the learning outcomes for different kinds of courses all across campus, whether that is in nursing or child studies or education or entrepreneurship and innovation, social innovation. We've done math classes. We've done computer science classes. All kinds of, all kinds of diverse subjects are using the design thinking process that basically guides everything that we do in the Maker Studio to really enhance students' experiences. And what we're seeing is that students are really having these transformational experiences by being creative in the classroom. Wow, I wish I had that when I was a student. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really interesting because the students get challenged in different ways. They'll often come into the space thinking that they, they're not creative and computers hate them. And then what happens is they leave with or without an artifact, depending on what, what the project is. But what they do leave with is an enhanced creative capacity. They know that they can be creative thinkers now and they don't think of themselves as not creative anymore. And they also leave with a confidence in technology that perhaps used to scare them that now they've learned one kind of technology or a few different technologies in the space. And now they're leaving with a confidence to, to face other technologies. They're not afraid of it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I know your studio is very, very user-friendly. I had my two daughters come there at a point, if you remember that. And they had a lot of fun just, you know, creating and, and uh, making all kinds of things out of nothing. Is that still, is it still open to the public? Because I know um, the Mika Studio was open to the public. That's why I was able to bring in my daughters about now. The space is still open to the public, but we really prioritize uh, our students. We've become quite popular on campus. And so we're really quite busy with uh, coursework now. And so we don't really have as much access. We don't really, we can't really offer as much access to the general public as we, as we used to, just because we tend to be super busy with our with our students now as we've returned back to campus we've got lots of courses and students that are doing coursework and so we have to give them priority to make sure that they can achieve the learning outcomes of their projects and meet their deadlines but we do all of the workshops that we offer and our website has all kinds of resources that often we get inquiries from the public 
and we'll direct them to the resources that we have on the website. We have a YouTube channel with all kinds of videos on how to use the technology that we have. That's a, a beautiful thing that came out of the, the pandemic and working from home is that we were able to create all these videos. And so there are so many resources on the website now that we really can direct people just to, to those to do the learning. And, and, and it really helps our students, too, because they can learn outside of our regular hours. And as we know, students often are, are doing their homework at 11 o'clock at night and the Maker Studio isn't open at 11 o'clock at night, but they can still learn from the Maker Studio at whatever time they want to work. Does Maker Studio have its own separate website or is it still on the Montreal website? So it's still on the Mount Royal website and it's part of the library website. So you can go to the library website for Mount Royal and under spaces and technology, you'll find the Maker Studio and there's all kinds of resources there. People can also make consultation meetings with our team if they have specific projects that they want to want to learn about. Sometimes we get emails from folk who are asking for, you know, for particular information. And we're very tied into the creative community in Calgary. And so often we refer people to either our community makerspace, so like Fuse 33 or other manufacturing facilities. So for 3D printing, for example, maybe Shapeways. So we've got lots of other resources that we can connect people to. We're really we're really a hub in the city of that kind of knowledge. And that's why we belong in the library. Yes, I was just getting to that, actually. I know Montreal University has a, an internal innovation ecosystem of sorts. And so I was wondering, how exactly does that work? within Montreal University and how, what's, what's your face, what's your contact with the rest of the larger innovation community in Calgary? Yeah, so Mount Royal has a really, uh, a really vibrant innovation ecosystem. And we've actually done a bit of work to really map out what that looks like and identified some students in the last year that we interviewed to find out what their innovation journey was. And we did a campaign with Avenue in the summer and have a, a, a website that actually highlights a number of students who we really think of as innovators. And we've got all these, obviously, we've got curriculum. So we have an, a social innovation minor. We've got innovation courses and creativity and entrepreneurship courses. And design thinking is really embedded throughout the campus, facilitated, I would say, in, in a large part by the Maker Studio. And I actually just last week gave a paper with Dr. Catherine Pearl at the International Social Innovation Research Conference in Milan about how we're using design thinking to facilitate social innovation mindsets on campus. And we had examples of, of ways that we've done that through a, a variety of different initiatives or spaces or experts that are on campus, places and events that happen. And, and they might be tied specifically to uh, a particular faculty or program or discipline, like, for example, the Center for Psychological Innovation or the CN Supply Chain Analytics Lab or the Health Simulation Lab in nursing. So we've got, you know, places like that. We've also got the Trico Changemaker Studio, um, which is a social innovation and collaboration space that does all kinds of interfaces with the community. And I'm sure, I'm sure your listeners are probably well familiar with that space. And of course, we've got the institutes on campus as well. So the Institutes for Community Prosperity, Environmental Sustainability, the Mistakis Research Institute, and the Center for Community Disaster Research. And of course, the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship under the direction of Ray DePaul, 
which hosts innovation and social innovation sprint every semester, even in the summer for students, where they can take part in a month-long sprint and really hone their innovation and entrepreneurship skills. And then they can lead into Launchpad, which is kind of an eight-week entrepreneurial incubator where they can take those ideas that they've come up with, perhaps in the sprint, or perhaps if they were making prototypes in the maker studio, or even in curriculum, we've worked with students who have come up with concepts and new innovations as part of a collaboration with the maker studio and, and coursework. And then they'll go to Launchpad and pitch those ideas and get support from community partners for things like legal services or design services, things that they need to be able to really launch their businesses. That's really encouraging. It's encouraging to see post-secondary institutions taking active roles in community development and innovation. You know, it's no longer just go through university to learn and then that's it. We are focusing on the next set of students and people just, you know, the, the mentality of I'm just going to learn what I will now apply in the workforce. Now students can graduate as entrepreneurs already set on their careers. That is very exciting to see. And it's not just Montreal University. I think Alberta is very blessed to have all these innovative post-secondary institutions. That's right. And and I think that, you know, the kind of the innovation that happens in the city, that there's so many generous community partners in this city who who really are open to working with students. And so there's never there's never a difficulty for us to be able to reach out to community partners and involve them in any of the initiatives that were that we're running on campus. And so I do feel that kind of the doors to the university are always open for people to come in and participate. And, and we're really lucky to have so many, so many people who support our students in that journey. But you're right, when our students graduate, whether they're graduating from business or not, they graduate with those innovation mindsets. They graduate with an entrepreneurial mindset and, and opportunities in a community that is, is really opening their arms to help them and support them through this process. I'm excited for the times we're in, not just in Alberta, but it's, there's just this energy in the air where you just believe so many things are possible. And just being in that space where you know there are communities you can turn to, even your post-secondary institution is like an innovation hub. I think that's very very encouraging and empowering. I think so. I mean, Mount Royal University is an Ashoka-designated changemaker university. There's this energy on campus where, where the students are really empowered to make a difference and to seek opportunities to have an, an impact on making the world a better place. And that's, I think, what I really enjoy about Mount Royal is that the students do feel empowered, they feel supported, and there's so many opportunities for students to, to participate in those extracurricular activities that really help them to, to bridge that gap between the university and industry and the community outside of campus. Do you think we need more people making a career out of the design process, design thinking? Because right now, like we mentioned, we discussed earlier, it's now at the forefront. We are having to apply design thinking to most of the things we're already doing. So do we think we need more people in that field? And if we do, what path might people take? That's a great question. I think we do. But then I, I really believe in the power of design to make meaningful change. Everything in our world is designed. 
And so what that means is that we can redesign things. I'm really enjoying right now the work that the Creative Reaction Lab is doing, where they're they're looking at redesign for, for justice. And so there's so much possibility for innovation designers and for innovation design to make the world what we want it to be and to shift us in a, uh, a more sustainable and a more equitable direction. And do I think there's more room for all kinds of designers? Absolutely. Absolutely. And how do people access this space? Well, I think we're all designers and we all come at come at our disciplines with with some kind of a design approach. Does it mean that we can 3D model an object and, you know, or a product? Not necessarily. Does it mean that we can do an amazing graphic design or a design a building or a space? Not necessarily. But that creative mindset, I think, is is part of being a human being. And so I think there's there's so much possibility for design to to be part of everybody's toolkit. And so that's that that is what what I do in my position, both as as the maker studio specialist, but also I'm I'm teaching two classes this this academic year as well. I'm teaching social intro to social innovation, and I'm also teaching the civic innovation course. And and both of those courses really deal with human centered design. And so I think that that design can be embedded in all of the disciplines. And I think anybody can access that. Like, I'm really excited about innovation design and innovation designers. And if you're not familiar with that as a term, the moment in Toronto on their website actually have a really nice description of, of what an innovation designer is. And I think if people are interested in, in getting into that field, you'll see that there is value in every single discipline and that nobody has all of the skills. And they have this really nice map that you can map your, yourself onto that allows you to be able to see, okay, I've got strengths in this, but I don't have strengths in that. And the beauty of that is that then you can kind of start to partner yourself with people who have the strengths that you don't have. Or if you're just entering into this field, you can say, what, what's really interesting to me? Oh, I've got some of that skill. I could build, I could build that up. And the work that they're doing is fantastic, really interesting work. Also, I mean, if we're thinking about locally, I think we're really starting to see a growth in that area, in the innovation design field. Um, So you can look at what J5 are doing in Calgary or even the city of Calgary's innovation lab and see what they're doing. And there's many more in Alberta as well of folk who are really using design-based approaches to, to innovation. So because this is already embedded in so many other disciplines, you don't think it's it's necessary to major in design as a discipline? I think everybody can take from design and certainly employ that into the, the work that they're doing. And everyone can add a little bit of design to their toolkit. But certainly we, we still do need that expertise. We need designers. We need more designers at the table. We need more designers in, in every industry because of the way that designers think and to be able to facilitate. Because for some people, and I see that in my, in my day-to-day work, for some people, design is intimidating and they don't think of themselves as designers. And so I think we need the people for whom design is is a natural ability or the people who have developed that expertise to be able to facilitate others to come along because it's it's not easy for everybody. 
but the, you know if you've got if you've got the skills as a as a designer then you can you can bring people along in that process and designers who are trained in that are, are very much trained in in co-design as well what we refer to is is having people participate in the design process so we need both we we need design to be everywhere i think we need design expertise but we also need a little bit of design in everybody's toolbox on a lighter note you did say design is a mindset and it kind of permeates every aspect of your life so what's the most mundane thing that you've had to that you've apply the design process to in your life? One, one example I always use with, with students who don't think that they're, they're creative, I explain to them that, well, every time you make a meal, you design it. You might follow somebody else's design, that is the recipe, but you choose how you put it on the plate, right? So you might have, I don't know, three different things that you're putting on your plate, maybe your burrito and some rice and the salad. But you don't just dump it all in the middle of a bowl, and say, there you go, or, you know, or, or put it in three different plates, or maybe you do, maybe you do it differently, but everybody's making a choice and they're designing what that plate looks like to make it appealing for the person that they're, that they're cooking for or for yourself. So that then it, it's the way that you want it with the salsa on the top or the salsa on the side, right? So we're always making design decisions in everything that we do. Every day we get dressed, we're making design decisions, as to, you know, okay, how am I going to uh, compose this outfit today? So those are the mundane things, just eating and dressing and, you know, how do you design your sleep cycle? You know, the, those basic things that they're, they are very mundane, but it might be also, I, I make a lot of clothes. I do a lot of sewing. So it might also be that I'm going to design my outfit and make it, and then I'm going to wear it tomorrow. So it can be a little bit more complex or it can be super simple that, you know, it's the pandemic and I'm wearing my leggings again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, this has been absolutely refreshing. And just the last thing I'd like to ask, what's not on your LinkedIn profile? What's interesting thing is, is there about you that we can't find on your LinkedIn profile? Oh, do I have to share those things here? <laughs> <laughs> So I think one thing that's not really on my LinkedIn profile is that I actually worked in the music industry for 10 years before I became a designer. And so I'm always, you know, in that creative field, but music is very much a passion of mine and I love live music and I've missed it so much over the last year and a half. Yeah. And sometimes people don't expect me to listen to heavy metal, but I do. <laughs> I listen to lots of other music too. I, I've actually, through the pandemic and, and working at home, I've really, I'm really enjoying some of the, the new classical music. So yeah, my musical tastes are wide. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage, inspire, educate together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. 
If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.